Well, good morning. My name is Mike Silliman. I'm the Karen Connections pastor here at Grace, and uh, it's great to be able to share with you this morning from God's Word. Uh, we're in this series, and it's called House of Cards, um, and we're interested in talking about the things that that uh, build strong families. We, we're interested in families that can be built to last. And all of us in this room are desiring that. We all want to be a part of a family that is strong. And so we've been looking at different cards uh, for the last several weeks that, that deal with this. These are cards. These are things that... Uh, can either make our families strong or cause our families to to struggle. And so we looked at uh, the first card in week one was conflict resolution. Uh, We looked at our finances. We looked at uh, honor last week. We looked at blended families and how we can have a strong blended family that that honors God. And today we're going to be looking at at a difficult card. Uh, this isn't one of those uh, messages uh, that uh, is going to, to, to cause us to walk out of here saying, wow, I'm inspired. However, it is one of those messages that could be a game changer for you this morning. It could be a game changer for your family. Uh, we're praying that you find, find healing um, in your lives, in your families as a result of, of what God has for us today. We're going to be talking about the card of forgiveness talking about the card of forgiveness. In a room this size, um, you know, uh, I, as I look around, uh, I can see people who I know uh, are dealing with incredible pain in your life from somebody from inside your family. Could be a mom struggling with uh, something painful, a disappointment that happened because of one of your kids, a choice that one of your kids has made. Could be a husband in here struggling at Uh, because of a a painful choice that your wife has made. Uh, Could be a wife that uh, is dealing with that as well, some hurt uh, as a result of of poor choices that happened from your husband. So no matter where you're at this morning, here's what I know. Uh, All of us have dealt with pain. All of us have have dealt with disappointment. Uh, All of us have, have felt hurt from somebody inside our family. Now, some of you have moved beyond that. Some of you have been able to forgive, and you've seen as a result of the forgiveness that you have been able to give to somebody that has hurt you, you've seen just incredible God-sized movement in your life and restoration that you look at even right now as you're sitting here and you say, wow, I never thought that our relationship, I never thought our family could be this strong and, um, and the reason it's strong is because you've allowed God to move and work in this hurtful and painful uh, disappointment and, 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 and situation in your life. However, I also know this. Some of you are not uh, realizing and experiencing what a strong, uh, God-centered, gospel-centered family is supposed to look like. Because uh, for some of you, if you're being really honest today, uh, there's unforgiveness that, uh, that is going on in your, in your life. And uh, the result of that is uh, you're experiencing a family um, that is just really struggling right now. And so this morning, as, as, I, as I share from God's Word, my prayer has been all week that God, the Holy Spirit, would just do an amazing work in our, in our families right now. 
Um, even, even the most difficult situation that you find yourself in, even the one that you've closed off and you said, look, I, I don't want to give this one over to God. I, I, want, I, want, to, I want to continue to remain uh, in bitterness and resentment. Even you, I've been praying that God would do an amazing work in your life um, this morning as we open God's word. Uh, please turn in your Bibles this morning to Genesis chapter 37. Genesis chapter 37. If you need a Bible this morning, if you could raise your hand. Uh, we have ushers that would love to get one in your hand this morning. Genesis chapter 37. We're going to read uh, verses 2 through 5 together. And so if you found that, uh, go ahead and, and stand up. And we're going to read this together. Genesis chapter 37, and we're going to begin reading at verse 2 this morning. Ready? Let's read. This is the account of Jacob. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age and he made a richly ornamented robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. You can have a seat. Uh, maybe you're here today and you would say, wow, my family is just incredibly, incredibly dysfunctional. Now, don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. We don't want to see that. But here's some good news. As we look at this story this morning, I, I don't care how dysfunctional you think your family is. There is. I don't think there's a family in here that can compete to the, with the dysfunction that we see in this family that we're going to look at today. Matter of fact, they put the fun in dysfunction. And so um, here's the scene. If you didn't pick up on it in the first couple of, of verses there, we have a brother. He's 17 years old. He's young. Um, he just uh, kind of says whatever he wants, whatever's on his mind. He's, he hasn't learned how to kind of keep some things to himself. And he's also a tattletale, okay? He runs to daddy. He rats out his, his brothers, probably at every chance that, that he can get. He goes, and in this situation, he gives his dad, his father, a bad report about his, his brothers, okay? So that's part of it. We, we also have a dad who out, um, just very outwardly favors one of his sons over the, over the other. And if that's not bad enough, because all of us in here know in your family who's the favorite, right? But usually, you know, we're a little more discreet. We, we, we don't, uh, you know, make that public or, or anything like that. This dad, however, he says, you know, I want everybody to know who my favorite son is. And he, he gives him an, a, a, just a beautiful robe that kind of distinguishes him from the rest of his brothers. And it's just a visual reminder to all of his brothers. Every time they look at him, every time he's, he's wearing this robe, oh, yeah, you're the favorite. You're the favorite. And I see a lot of elbows going back and forth here. You know, who the, who's the favorite in your family this morning? But then to top it off, uh, this favored son, 17-year-old son, he announces to his older brothers, he announces to his father, hey, I had a dream last night. Guess what? I'm going to rule over all of you. 
And, uh, and, and so, you know, you can just see and just feel the tension rising in this family. And here's the crazy thing. You know, all of these things separately, individually, all these kind of disappointments, we'll call them, um, that have happened in this family individually aren't really, in the big scheme of life, they're not that big of a deal. You know, we've all dealt with favoritism at different times in our relationships. We've all dealt certainly with tattling that happens in our, in our families. Um, and uh, we've all dealt with, you know, somebody saying, well, I'm better than you, right? But, but for some reason in this situation, in this family, uh, they allowed these just different incidences to just kind of pile on top of another one, on top of another one, on top of another one, until just incredible, incredible resentment begins to, to just build in this family. And it becomes just huge uh, to the point uh, where there's just some incredible pain that we're going to read here in, in just a couple of minutes. But here's, here's what I, I, I need you to understand this morning. We talked about this in week one of our series, House of Cards, and that's this. Unresolved conflict is an open door to resentment. Unresolved conflict leads to resentment. It's just an open door that Satan will use in our lives whenever there's unresolved conflict. Um, Satan just loves to tear families apart. Why? Because a family that is gospel-centered is just a beautiful picture. It's a beautiful picture to the world about God's power and about God's glory. And, and as we live gospel-centered families, we live our life uh, with our families, with, with grace and, and, and forgiveness. It communicates Jesus to, to the world. It's a wonderful thing. And the enemy does not like to see that. And so the enemy will look for that open door uh, of unresolved conflict, And quickly, that unresolved conflict will lead to resentment. And that's why, that's why the Hebrew writer said this in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. Listen to this verse. It says this. It says, see to it that no one misses the grace of God. And then he says this. And see to it that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and to defile many. And I want you to write this down. If you're taking notes this morning, write this down. The root always determines the fruit. The root always determines the fruit. A bitter root that begins to grow in our lives, it always, always, always produces unforgiving fruit. And, and, and what happens is once that inner bitter root system has been planted, and, and, and that, that is a result of undealt uh, with conflict, unresolved conflict. What happens is it begins to cultivate in the soil. It begins to, we, we, we put fertilizer on it. We begin to tend it when we don't resolve the conflict. And, and over a course of time, a bitter root system begins to grow under the ground, under the surface, and, and something really bad begins to happen. There comes a day when we look at our life, we look at our relationship, and we start to begin to see some fruit that shows up. And it's fruit, fruit of anger, 
the fruit of just, you know, jabbing sharp words. This fruit begins to show up in all kinds of different ways in our lives, how we treat uh, people in our family. And, uh, and, and, and it's a result of us cultivating this for a period of time. And, and, and here's the thing about bitter roots. They grow really, really fast. They grow really, really fast, and, and they begin to get stronger, and they begin to get stronger, and then we begin to see fruit show up in our lives that that's not good fruit. It's the fruit of an unforgiving spirit, and then we begin to wonder why this fruit is kind of showing itself. Well, it's because we've, we've cultivated this bitter root in our lives that comes from resentment, that comes from unresolved conflict in our lives. It's, it's sowing and reaping. It's sowing and reaping. Paul says this in Galatians chapter 6. You've heard this verse, verses 7 through 9. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. So let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. And if we're sowing uh, unforgiving fruit that comes from bitterness in our lives, we will reap a harvest of fruit. Um, and, and so we don't we shouldn't be surprised by that. We've we planted it. We've cared for it. And as it was a little sapling kind of poking up through the ground, we put little sticks in the ground to support it over, over time. And now we're just reaping exactly what we have planted. And I want you to write this down. This is really important for us to understand this morning. The fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit and the fruit of an unforgiving spirit They do not hang on the same tree. The fruit of the Spirit and the fruit of an unforgiving spirit do not hang on the same tree. And so you either have fruit in your life right now that's a result of unforgiving, an unforgiving spirit, or you have fruit hanging on your tree right now that's a result of the, the, the fruit of the Spirit growing in you, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And when we harbor bitterness, when we allow the bitter root to begin to grow in our lives and, and, and we see a tree of an, an, and, and producing fruit of an unforgiving spirit, we don't allow the Holy Spirit to produce the fruit in our lives that's keeping with repentance. It's a, it's a, instead, we see the fruit of unforgiveness. And this bitter root, it continues to grow, and it, it continues to grow in the life of Joseph's brothers. And uh, the, fr- the fruit is about to show up. See, Jacob, uh, we see him referenced in our uh, scripture this morning as Israel. Sometimes he's called Israel, but it's Jacob. It's the same guy. He's the dad. He asks his sons, uh, or he asks his son, Joseph, he says, I want you to go out and I want you to check on your brothers. They were out uh, tending the flock some distance away from home. And, uh, and Jacob says to his favored son, Joseph, He says, I want you to go out. I want you to give me a report. I want you to bring me back a report on how your brothers are doing. 
I'm sure Joseph just, just loved the, the idea, oh, good, I can go and I can give another bad report uh, to, my, to my dad about my brothers, and I can continue to be the favored, the favored son. And so Joseph went out in, in search of the brothers. He finally found them. They see him coming from a distance away, and they already begin the anger in their heart from this bitter root that has been surfacing in their life uh, is already beginning to show up, and they begin talking to each other how they're going to deal with their brother when he finally gets to them. And we're going to pick up the story, Genesis chapter 37. Let's look at verse 23 through 28. It says this. It says, So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, so uh, the richly ornamented robe he was wearing, and they took him and they threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty. There was no water in it. And as they sat down to eat their meal, you picking up on that? We just threw our brother in a pit. In a sister, now let's go have lunch. It's, it's incredible. They looked up and they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. Oh, Judah's such a nice guy, isn't he? I mean, let's not kill him. I mean, he's our brother. He's our flesh and blood. Let's just sell him as a slave. That's just so much better. Judah, you're such a kind guy. He actually was one of the kindest of all his brothers. Well, his brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver. That's just a couple of months of food for their family. 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. Now, if you know the story, uh, you know that Joseph is taken to Egypt and he's sold uh, as a slave to uh, a very prominent guy that serves Pharaoh, a guy named Potiphar. And we'll call his wife for right now, Potiphar. You'll understand that in a minute. So Potiphar and Potiphar, and uh, Potiphar is this high-ranking official. Scripture says, however, uh, and this is interesting as you read this story, I'd encourage you just to read this story later today, sometime this week. It's just a fascinating story. But over and over, we see this phrase, the Lord was with Joseph and caused him to prosper. And it's really easy to look at this story and say, what are you talking about? Like, caused him to, he was thrown in a cistern. He was sold as a slave. What do you mean that the Lord was with him? And and you might be thinking here this morning, well, if that's how the Lord is with me, no thanks, you know? And, and, but, but Joseph, he sold to to Potiphar and Potiphar, and uh, Potiphar begins to seduce Joseph, make sexual advances towards him. But Joseph is a man of integrity. Uh, he, he flees from those situations over and over. The advances continue to come. So eventually one day she grabs a hold of him. He runs. He says, I will not dishonor God. I will not dishonor my master, Potiphar. And, uh, and she grabs a hold of his, his cloak and, and she's left standing there with with his cloak in her hand, and she begins to cry rape, and she falsely accuses him of rape. Joseph is thrown into prison. Once again, Scripture says, and the Lord was with Joseph, and, and he prospered at what he did. He found himself just um, 
uh, with, with favor, and uh, he rose to a place of influence even in the prison system. Eventually, um, he is placed in a situation in prison where he is given the opportunity to interpret some dreams. God has given Joseph the, the supernatural ability to interpret dreams, and eventually Pharaoh, the biggest top dog in all of Egypt, has a dream He needs to have it interpreted, and Joseph is now in a position where he's the one that gets to interpret the dream. In essence, the dream is this. We're going to have just seven years of incredible bumper crops, uh, crops like we have never seen. I mean, the harvest is going to be huge. We're going to have just a plentiful seven years. It's going to be incredible. But the seven years of plenty are going to be followed by seven years of famine like Egypt has never seen before and this region has never seen before. And so Joseph interpreted this dream. He said, hey, make provisions, Pharaoh. Put a system in place uh, to take care of the seven good years that it'll sustain you through the seven years of famine. Pharaoh says, Joseph, you're the man. Um, I appoint you to be the second guy, the second most powerful man in all of Egypt. And Joseph began to create this amazing infrastructure, uh, this system of storehouses and a system of distribution to take care of the seven years of plenty followed by the seven years of, of, uh, of, of famine. And so it was during the final uh, year of the seven plentiful years, Joseph, and his, he's now married, his wife, Aseneth, had twin boys, and Joseph named the boys Manasseh and Ephraim. And uh, these names, names in, in Scripture, they tell a lot about uh, the person um, who's naming the child, but also it's a blessing on the child as well. But th- these names tell a lot about where Joseph was spiritually and how uh, his journey through just the incredible pain that he went through um, and where he's at today. Uh, Manasseh means God has made me forget all my hardships and all my father's house. And Ephraim means God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. In other words, he gives incredible credit to God for helping him get through his painful past. He gives credit to God for his his fruitfulness in a situation that that could have been very miserable uh, for him. He acknowledges that, that God is at work in his life and he's making him who he is today. And God is doing the same for, for you. You know, I, I don't know the pain that you have gone through in your, in your life. I don't know what you're facing right now. Maybe it's, maybe it's a, a cheating husband um, or uh, just a, a, a betrayal that took place, some, some incredible lying that took place in, in your family. I don't know what the pain is that, that, that you're caught, that, that's been, been done to you and what's going on in your life at this particular moment. But I I can be assured of this, and you can be assured of of this, that that God is at work in you. He's at work in your situation, even the most painful situation that you're going through. God is at work, and he's making you. He's making you into the person that he wants you to be. And Joseph had an incredible perspective. Uh, We're going to call it this morning an upper story perspective. Joseph had an upper story perspective. See, there's a lower story, and then there's an upper story. 
Let me define those for you. A lower story is the story that you and I live in. It's, it's our story. It's a, it's a story from a six-foot perspective or lower. It involves our day-to-day lives. It's the here and the now. It's sitting here listening to this message. Um, you know, your stomach's gurgling and, you know, you're planning your lunch. Hopefully not right now. But, you know, it's what's, what's happening in the here and now. It's, it's going to work. It's flat tire on the way to work. It's paying the bills. It's getting over the cold that I have, right? It's football. It's Notre Dame beating Navy. It's, it's, it's Penn State Nittany Lions losing by one point to a bunch of turtles. It's, it's, it's the joy and it's the pain of our day-to-day lives, okay? You with me on that? It's just our lower story. It's our lower story. It's our story that we're living day by day. This is a horizontal story, and it's linear. It's kind of one event after another event after another event. That's a lower story. But then there's an upper story, okay? Now, the upper story is a story that God is writing, it's, a, it's, it's vertical and it's holistic, meaning it includes all of our stories. And it's a story where God is literally using our lower story, okay, to accomplish his upper story good, okay? Now, I want to give you an example. Scripture's just filled over and over. And I'm really hoping that this, this lower story, upper story gives you just a new, fresh way to read Scripture, when you're reading scripture, we should always look for the lower story. What's just going on in the lives of these people? What's, what's, what's going on? What's the, just the, the day-to-day stuff? It's how you and I find ourselves in their, in their story because it's their story. It's, it's stuff that we can relate to that, that's going on. But, and so when you read scripture, we should look for the lower story. That's the lower story that's happening there. But then we should be looking for where's God moving? And scripture's great because oftentimes we see the end of the story. We see the lower story pain and how it culminates with, with God kind of weaving his upper story in with this lower story junk, we'll call it, you know, at, at, at different times. And isn't it cool to see how God has worked those stories for his good? And, you know, for example, we see the story of Mary and Joseph in Scripture, right? And the lower story if you were just living out the story there um, in the day when Mary and Joseph were, were alive, you would see a, a young peasant girl engaged to be married to a guy. She finds herself pregnant, and the guy she's engaged to is not the father of the child. That's the lower story, right? There's some drama in that. There, do you think there's some, some pain in that, some hurt, some, you know, there's, that's just a, that's a, that's the lower story. But, but in the upper story, we know that God was providing a solution for you and I to come back into right relationship t- with God through, through Jesus Christ. And so it's a beautiful unfolding of, of, of upper story and lower story. And so as you read the Bible, look for both the upper story and the lower story. And Joseph, Joseph, he's able to begin to see where God is weaving his lower story into God's upper story. And see, when our lower story and God's upper story collide, that's, that's where spiritual growth begins to happen. That's when we begin to say, wow, 
wow, God, you are working out this situation as bad as it is, as evil as it is for your good and for your glory. That's where we begin to see beauty come up out of the ashes of life. And we're, be, we're about to see God's upper story unfold and even more in Joseph's life. So the seven years that followed uh, were seven incredible difficult years. Famine like no other spread throughout the whole region. Of course, Egypt had so much grain uh, because they were involved in some insider trading. Okay, God gave an inside look at, at what was going to happen. And so they had so much grain that they began to sell off some grain to neighboring countries. Jacob, he's back in Canaan with his, his 11 sons because, you know, in, in his mind, Joseph is dead. He's gone. Uh, his brothers kind of lied. They lied to him and told him, you know, some animal got to him, right? And so Jacob learns that there's grain available in Egypt, and he sends 10 of his brothers. He has another favorite. That's right. He has another favorite. It's Benjamin. He says, Benjamin, you stay back with me. He sends 10 of his brothers to Egypt to go buy grain. And so um, eventually the brothers are brought to Joseph. Joseph recognizes his brothers right away, but they don't recognize Joseph. Now imagine for a minute, this 20 years have passed. 20 years have passed all of the pain, you know, the scabs kind of started to heal, all the painful situations, you know, we know that God was doing a work, God was at work in, in Joseph, but all of this flood of emotion begins to just resurface in Joseph's life when he sees his brothers, brothers that sold him into slavery, threw him in a, in a cistern, left him for dead almost, and, and uh, and, and, and so all of the emotion, all of the betrayal, all the hatred, his own flesh and blood selling him into slavery. And uh, Joseph, you know, it's interesting, if you read the story, he doesn't divulge uh, his identity for a while. I'm sure he was, he's human and he's wrestling, you know, uh, the, asking the question, you know, I know what I want to do to these guys right now. I want to give them what they deserve. I want to give them exactly what they, what they did to me. I am now the person in charge. I can leverage all that I am, all of my influence, and I can really stick it to them right now. Or he was struggling, you know, I know what I should do. I know what I should do. So this wrestling match, and maybe you're dealing with that same wrestling match right now in your heart, in your life as you sit here, and you rehash what they did to me. You know, I know what I should do. But man, doing it, I, man, it's just so difficult. And so Joseph is just struggling in this tension he finds himself in. And the time finally came. He can't stand it any longer. We're going to pick up the story in Genesis chapter 45. Genesis chapter 45, beginning at verse 1, it says this. It says, Then Joseph could no longer control himself. Before all his attendants, he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. Verse 2, and he, he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. It is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. I'm sure they kind of like inched little by little. Come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I'm your brother Joseph, 
the one you sold into Egypt. And then check this out, verse 5. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. And check out this perspective. This is powerful. If we could just grab a hold of this today. Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been famine in the land, and for the next five years, there will not be plowing and reaping, but God sent me ahead of you. Wait a minute. God didn't send you, Joseph. Your brother sent you. You remember your brothers? They hated you. They despised you. They threw you in a cistern. They sold you to slaves, as slave, as a slave. What do you mean God sent you? But this is the perspective that Joseph had. But God sent me ahead of you. Why? To preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, and ruler of all Egypt. In other words, he, God placed me. God was making me. God placed me in this position of influence where right now I'm in a position where I can save lives for the glory of God. And he says this. He says, now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me lord of all Egypt, come down to me, don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen. It's a good place to live, good place to raise a family. You can be near me. You, your children, grandchildren, your flocks and herds and all that you have, I will provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all of you who belong to you will become destitute. Notice what Joseph didn't do. He said, hey, Go back to where you came from. Deal with it yourself. Stinks to be you. You know, he didn't say any of that. Why? Because Joseph was able to tap into God's upper story. He was able to look past his pain, very real pain. This wasn't, you know, just a joke. This was real pain, so much so that it caused him to cry and send everybody out of the room. He weeped and people heard it loudly. This was painful. No question about it, but he was able to see beyond his pain of his lower story and able to tap into the upper story of God and and see that God was moving. God was working. God had a plan, and God's upper story was to preserve the nation of Israel from a devastating famine so they could continue their purpose. What's their purpose? To bring to the world the one who would provide the solution, the solution back into a relationship with God to bring Jesus Christ, by the way, born of the tribe of Judah, the guy that said, oh, let's just throw our brother in the pit. Just think, what, what, if, what if Joseph would have made the choice in that moment when he saw his brothers to maintain a lower story perspective? How would you deal with this situation if it was a, just a lower story perspective, if we didn't, didn't have, a, have a picture into what God might want to do or trust that God is going to work this out in a way that will bring honor and glory to him. Here's what would have happened. Joseph would have missed out on the biggest blessing of his life. He would have missed out on that incredible blessing of saving a nation. And ultimately, 
being that nation that Jesus Christ would be born into to save and bring about redemption for the entire world. See, write this down in your notes. Unforgiveness always forfeits the blessings of God. Unforgiveness always forfeits the blessings of God. See, Joseph was able to see incredible restoration take place in his family because he made a choice to forgive. He made a choice, and it was a choice. Matthew chapter 6, verse 14 and 15 says this, For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your Father, your Heavenly Father, will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Now, our salvation is based solely on Christ's work alone on the cross, not our actions um, this isn't saying that we're going to lose our salvation if we have unforgiveness in our life. What it is saying is if we don't forgive, we are going to damage our relationship with God in, in, in just an incredible way. Our day-to-day cleansing that we go to Jesus, that we go and ask God for, ask Jesus to, to cleanse us, it will be halted when we harbor unforgiveness, the intimacy, the closeness that God so desires in, in you, with us, with you, and, w- and with me, it's interrupted. Our prayers will not be heard. Unforgiveness just grieves the heart of God in an incredible way. And it, we forfeit the blessings that God has, the intimacy, when we choose to not forgive. Also, unforgiveness pauses our ability to truly worship God. It pauses. It hits the pause button on our ability to truly worship God. Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 through 25, Jesus says this. He says, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother, your sister, has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go, be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. In other words, when we know we have unforgiveness in our lives, our number one priority is to get that right. Our horizontal relationships with others affect our vertical relationship with God. And God says, you know, it's nice that that you came and you want to worship me. It's nice that you came and you have this gift of worship that you want to give to me. Now, Now go ahead and put it down and go make things right with the family member. Go make things right with your mom, with your dad. Go make things right with your brother, your sister, your uncle, your aunt. Go, go make things right with your grandma. Go, go make things right with your son, your daughter, your spouse. Then I'm happy to have you worship me. I'm happy. Matter of fact, man, I will be pleased in your worship when you make that happen. Unforgiveness. Unforgiveness just blocks our worship. It halts our worship. It hits pause on our worship. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32 says this, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in, just as in Christ, God forgave you. And you need to know this this morning. Unforgiveness, unforgiveness is incompatible and inconceivable for someone who has experienced God's forgiveness. When we stop and think that my sin and your sin 
before a holy God is so grievous, so grievous, it's so bad, it's so evil, that Jesus had to go to the cross and die for it. He had to be nailed to a bloody, shameful cross, suffer the death that that I should have suffered, that you should have suffered. Jesus cries out, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. How can we not forgive? It's just incompatible. It's inconceivable for somebody that's received that kind of forgiveness to not be willing, to be unwilling to, to forgive someone who has hurt us. Also, unforgiveness says this to God. It communicates this to God. It says, God, I do not trust you enough to work out this evil for your good. I need to take care of it on my own. That's what it communicates to God. That's what you're communicating. That's what you're saying to God in your heart when you have unforgiveness that you're unwilling to forgive somebody of. I think a lot of times why why we're unwilling to forgive perhaps is because uh, you and I don't have a good understanding of what forgiveness is. We think it's maybe something that it's not. And so I I just want to share a few things with you this morning that forgiveness is not, okay? Forgiveness is not approving or diminishing sin. Forgiveness isn't saying, you know, what you did to me is no big deal. That's not forgiveness. No, it is a big deal. It's it's so big that Jesus had to die for it. So it's not approving or diminishing sin. sin. Forgiveness is also not waiting for an apology, It's not waiting, you know, until you say, well, I think that if I ask for forgiveness uh, or if I go to them that they'll, they'll, uh, they'll give me, they'll, they'll, they'll ask me for an apology. Um, You might say, you know, I'm going to forgive them as soon as they say I'm sorry. Listen, you may never get that apology. You may never hear those words. I'm sorry. Your situation may never change. It may never get better. They may continue on in their destructive ways, but that's not forgiveness. Forgiveness isn't waiting for them to change. It's not waiting for an apology. Forgiveness isn't ceasing to feel the pain. Just because it still hurts doesn't mean that you failed to forgive. See, I think sometimes because the the feeling and the pain is still there, we think, well, I must not have forgave them. No, it's very possible that you've forgiven them. It's just the pain, it hurts. There's going to be hurtful emotions that are going to continue, that you're going to continue to struggle with. We see that in Joseph's life. He continued to feel the pain. He weeped when he saw his brothers. Forgiveness is also not a one-time event. Uh, You know, there are times when when I believe we truly forgive somebody, like we really meant it, we were very sincere, I forgive you, but something will cause the betrayal to rise up again and to the surface again, and we have to say, I forgive you again. And maybe they didn't even commit uh, something, you know, another painful, maybe they didn't even do anything again, maybe they didn't repeat it, but it's that, it's, it's just, it's not a one-time event, Sometimes it's that painful that you got to continue. We're human and we deal with these emotions and we have to continuously be in an attitude of forgiveness towards that person. Forgiveness is also asking, not asking God to forgive the person. 
God's already forgiven them if they ask him. This is between you and that person. Forgiveness needs to come from you, not asking God to forgive them. And forgiveness is not the same thing as trusting. It's not the same thing as trusting. Trust is built very, very slow, but it's lost very, very, very quickly. And trust is needed for trust to happen, to trust to begin to, to be rebuilt in a relationship. We need two things. We need, we need true honesty and we need true repentance. Those are the two things that trust is built on. And so forgiveness may come way before trust comes. And so don't confuse the two. Don't confuse trust with forgiveness, two separate things. Forgiveness is not, uh, also not the same thing as reconciliation. Forgiveness takes one person. Reconciliation always takes two. Always takes two. And you may never see reconciliation in your relationship, but you still forgive just as Christ has forgiven you. I want to walk you through some steps on how to seek forgiveness. It's really important that we understand how to ask for forgiveness, how to seek forgiveness. Maybe you want to write these things down, jot these things down. Step number one in seeking forgiveness. You're the one that caused pain for someone and you need to go and ask for forgiveness. Here's, here's what you do. Number one, admit that what you did was wrong and hurtful. Just admit it. You know, I hurt you. I lied to you. I stole from you. I cheated on you. Whatever it is, admit that you were wrong and admit that your actions were harmful. Number two, try to understand and empathize with the pain that you have caused. Try to put yourself in their shoes. Try to communicate best you can how you think your pain caused, the type of pain that you caused in their, in their life. Try to understand, try to empathize and put yourself in their situation. Number three, take responsibility for your actions and make restitution if necessary. Go to whatever lengths you need to go to in order to make things right. Number four, assure them that you will not do it again. This was such, I, I, I have caused so much pain, so much hurt in your life. I'm gonna do the very best of my ability with God's help to never do that again to you. Apologize and ask for forgiveness. Say the words, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I'm sorry, would you please forgive me? And then finally, forgive yourself. Forgive yourself, because Christ has forgiven you. Now, maybe you're on the other end. Maybe, maybe you're the one that uh, is experiencing the pain of betrayal in your life. And here's some steps for you for granting forgiveness. Number one, acknowledge your pain and your anger even. Allow yourself to feel disrespected. What you did to me hurt deeply. I'm angry. I'm hurt. Be specific about your future expectations and limits. Be clear on that. Be firm in that. Number three, give up your right to get even, but insist on being treated better in the future. 
Number four, let go of blame, resentment, and negativity toward the other person. Just let go of it. I'm going to choose to forgive. I'm going to choose to let go of it. You say, well, how do I do that? Every single day if you have to. Go to Jesus. Jesus, I am struggling with this, and in your name, there's power. And I I pray, God, that you would give me the strength, give me the power through your Holy Spirit to let this go. I do not want a bitter root to form in my life that will create fruit of an unforgiving spirit. Um, You're going to communicate your act of forgiveness to the other person. In other words, you're going to say, I forgive you. I forgive you. And then you're going to work together towards reconciliation when, when you're able to do that. So as we close today, I want, you to, I want you to think about your relationships right now. No matter where you're at, I want you to think about your relationships. You know, uh, the Bible says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. You know, um, there is an urgency to making things right. There's an urgency that when you know you've offended somebody to make things right. There's an urgency there. And um, it's a choice that you can make today. You can find freedom today. So maybe you are a son or a daughter that needs to forgive your father for walking out on you when you needed him the most. Maybe you were young. Maybe this was years ago. And it has caused just incredible pain in your life. And you've never forgiven your father for that. Maybe it was your mother. You've never forgiven them. You've harbored bitterness. You've tended to this bitter root in your life all of these years. And, and you just don't want to be held down in this bondage anymore. You want to give room for the Spirit of God to work in your life, producing fruit that's just pleasing to him. Maybe you are that father. And you need to ask your sons, your daughters, to forgive you for your selfishness, for your pride. Maybe you're a brother and you're a sister that needs to forgive your sibling for wronging you, for betraying you, for hurting you, for saying that hurtful thing. Maybe as a brother or sister, uh, you've allowed jealousy of a sibling to turn into bitterness. You're always like looking and finding faults in them as a result of this bitterness in your life, this jealousy. You're always looking for ways to maybe even wishing that they would fail. You're that jealous about their success, who they are as a person. And today, you're going to find freedom. You're going to forgive them. You're going to ask for forgiveness. Uh, Maybe you're a wife needs to forgive your your husband for that affair. Your husband needs to forgive your wife for that affair. You've been functioning, you've been going through life, but you know, God's not blessing your marriage because you you got unforgiveness in your life. You got bitterness in your life and you want so badly to see God move and work in your family. Today's the day. Maybe it's a verbal uh, emotional affair. Um Maybe it was uh, verbal abuse, emotional abuse, physical abuse that took place in your house. You need to make things right. You need to ask for forgiveness. You need to grant forgiveness. Uh, Maybe your husband 
um, that needs to forgive your wife for not allowing you to lead your family like you've wanted to. Bitterness, resentment has creeped in. Maybe your son or daughter, you need to ask your parents for forgiveness because you're sitting here today and you realize that, man, I've dishonored my parents. I've dishonored them. Even as an adult, you've dishonored your parents. You need to make things right. Do it today. The Bible says, don't let the sun go down on our anger. There's urgency to this. So I'm just going to ask you to do this. Uh, The band's going to come out and close us in just a powerful song. I'm just going to ask you to just bow your head. I'm going to pray. And and I'm asking this morning to allow God, allow the Spirit of God to just do business with you. Maybe it's something that you've kind of shoved back in your life. And and now for the first time today, um, you know, the Holy Spirit is convicting you of a a relationship that you need to make right. Um, And I want you to know, um, we have elders that are going to be up front after the service. Maybe you need to talk to somebody. You need to talk to one of the elders and they'd be happy to pray with you. If that's you, just turn this song, just make your way to the front. The elders will be happy uh, to pray with you. Let me just pray. God, I just pray for a spirit of forgiveness to rule in this place today. There's potential, lots of potential hurt in lives. God, that uh, we need to make right today. Lord, I just pray that you give us a picture of our, of, of our lower story and your upper story. Give us a picture, God, uh, for how you want to weave our story in with your upper story to create just something beautiful out of ashes. Help us to trust you that much that we'd be willing to forgive and we'd be willing to trust you that you, were, you would uh, just create just a beauty out of ashes, out of this painful situation. We'll give you all the praise, all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.